Well, welcome again. Uh, my name is Pastor Ben. I am the youth pastor here uh, at Oakwood Community Church, and when I get the chance to speak with you guys, it's usually every uh, few months or so, so I like to usually give an update on my family. But if you remember, uh, and you didn't sleep through it, uh, I actually got to speak with you guys just a couple weeks ago, uh, and I didn't have time to get a new family photo. So uh, this is the same old photo from last time, but if you are new to Oakwood, my name is Pastor Ben. I am the youth pastor here. Uh, that means I get to work with our middle school, our high school, and our college-age kids pretty much on a weekly basis. Uh, And this is my wife that I'm pictured with, as well as our six, almost seven-month-old baby Noah and our puppy Moses. Um, Noah, we have just finally got him to start sleeping through the night. So if you see me and Kylie kind of skipping through the hallways at church, just know uh, that we are just excited and thrilled that he is now sleeping. Um, It's funny, when you go uh, six months or so without really consistent sleep, how it kind of changes you as a person. Uh, So I do want to apologize if anyone saw me at the supermarket or driving down the road and I was less than pleasant. uh, I will blame that on the baby for this one. Uh, and that, uh, that's our sweet puppy Moses. He likes to snuggle every single night. Uh, and when I get up to come here on a Sunday morning, uh, after my shower, I walk back into the room, uh, and he is curled up right on my pillow. So he's about as cute as can be. Uh, but we did want to just take a second and say thank you for being a part of our Harvest Festival last week. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing Sunday to be here. Uh, like I said, the weather felt like we were in the midst of summer, not the midst of fall. Uh, and I feel like the community really, really took advantage of that. Uh, Halloween itself was pretty rainy. It was uh, somewhat kind of a dreary day, so I think a lot of people planned ahead and were here uh, on that Sunday before. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of that. When I was here, I was making a plea. I was saying, please bring candy, Uh, and the candy was really, really tall. It was awesome. Uh, And I said, please do trunks, and then you guys signed up for trunks, and then like another 10, 15 people showed up the day of with trunks. So you guys absolutely rocked it. Thank you guys so much for being a part of that this morning. Uh, Now, like we were saying before, uh, Pastor Don got the opportunity to go uh, up north with his wife and spend a few days away, Uh, and he was saying, oh, well, I'm planning on, you know, driving back down Saturday evening, and then Julie's probably going to drive back down the next day, and I said, well, PD, you know, you have a really good-looking youth pastor that could always teach on a Sunday morning, Uh, and he said, well, I don't know who that is, and I said, well, it's me. So I luckily get the opportunity to be back here with you and speak uh, on the book of Romans. Uh, We're going to be continuing in the book of Romans in chapter 8, but we're going to be skipping through a few verses, and then PD's going to bring us back a couple verses next week. Uh, He had a sermon ready to go for this week, uh, and he was just so excited about it that he didn't want to give it to me. So he's going to take you guys through that next week. But I do want to just walk us through a little bit about where we've gone through in the book of Romans. So just a few things. Paul has already demonstrated that all have sinned. This is something he wants all people, uh, Christians, non-Christians, Jew, Gentiles, all people to know that all have sinned. It's not just a Gentile issue. It's not just a Jewish issue. It's not just an issue that uh, our wives struggle with, gentlemen, but we have all sinned. Paul then declares that we can be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul demands where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And then Paul is also confronting a problem that the church was having, uh, and they were saying, let's just continue to sin so that grace might abound in the midst of our sinning. And again, Paul is trying to make this declaration that uh, we should never allow sin, uh, continue to sin just 
for the fact that um, grace abounds in the midst of it. Uh, P.D. walked us through all the different translations, but the answer is simply no. And then uh, two weeks ago when I was here with you, we talked about the concept that grace is greater. We talked about how Paul was teaching this church in Rome that they were dead to sin and alive in Christ. And very similarly, they were dead to the law and alive in grace. We talked about how grace is greater than sin, grace is greater than death, and grace is greater than the law. If you don't remember that sermon, I'm sorry that I put you to sleep. We also just talked briefly about how uh, the church in Rome was really divided. Uh, It wasn't a very cohesive church. It wasn't a a church that had everything figured out. It wasn't a church where everybody agreed, but they were really just split up into different factions. Uh, There were people who were Jewish that were a part of this church in Rome. There were people that were Gentiles. There were pagans that were a part of this church in Rome. And Paul is writing to this church that is divided on many issues. And I think this is probably one of the reasons why Paul writes such a comprehensive understanding of the gospel, such a comprehensive understanding of his view on how we should follow Jesus. But they were asking questions like, how should we live? Is the law still applicable? Why do we still struggle with sin after we meet Jesus? And today, as we jump into Scripture today, together we're going to be jumping into the chapter uh, 8, verses specifically 26 through 28. Um, But the big idea this morning is simply depend on the Spirit. Depend on the Spirit. If you were here with us last week, uh, PD really uh, dove into this idea that once we follow Jesus, the Spirit is indwelt in us. And if the Spirit is indwelt in us, then the fruit of the Spirit is the result of that indwelling. And Paul continues in the book, uh, in the book of Romans, but specifically in chapter 8, to tell us that we are going to be dependent on the Spirit. Uh, before we jump into Scripture this morning, I do want to just share with you guys one of my pet peeves. Uh, and as you get to know me, you'll find that I do have quite a few, so pray for my wife. But one of my biggest pet peeves uh, is that we as Christians absolutely love coffee cups. Does anybody want to be honest and say, yes, I have a whole pantry at home full of coffee cups? Yep. It's the same in my house. I don't know what it is about Christians, but we absolutely love our coffee cups. Now, there's one or two stores that I know you're thinking of where you're like, yep, I go to that store and that's where I get my coffee cups. But we as Christians do this really uh, specific thing with our coffee cups, and that is we like to buy coffee cups that have one Bible verse printed right on it. Anybody, that's their favorite cup? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Maybe a couple honest people. But we absolutely love coffee cups, and we love to take a single verse from the Bible and put it on a coffee cup. Or maybe for some of us, we put it on our wall at home. Or maybe for others of us, we actually get it tattooed on our body. We love to take a verse from Scripture and just put it somewhere. And for me, this is one of my pet peeves because oftentimes when you walk through the store that has all of the coffee cups that me and my wife have been to several times, and we look at all the coffee cups, the verses that we like to put on the coffee cups are oftentimes taken out of their context. Now, I've yet to see a coffee cup with the entire uh, book of Romans on it, but if anyone finds one, please let me know. 
But one of the passages today, one of the verses today that we're going to be speaking out about is a very common coffee cup verse. And ultimately what happens is we take this verse and we try to insert it, we try to plug and play that verse into our life, into the life of others, and ultimately we take it out of the context it was meant to be in and try to force it to mean something else. So that's where I want us to approach Scripture from this morning. We're going to start uh, by reading uh, a good chunk of the uh, chapter of uh, Romans chapter 8, and then we'll come back to the verses we're going to focus on specifically today. But let's start in verse uh, 15 this morning. So if you have your Bible, Romans 15, and we'll read through Romans uh, 8, verse 30. It says this, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received uh, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so that we, uh, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen in uh, is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those who were predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, next week, PD is going to be walking us through verses 15 through about verses 25. So we're not going to spend the bulk of our time there this morning. But I think it's important that we read it together as a church. 
Because verses 26, 27, and 28 that we're going to be looking at today sit in the context of this passage uh, overall. I think it sits really nicely uh, in, in the context that Paul is talking about here in verses 15 through 30. So as we look at Romans eight twenty six, it's really asking this question, uh, how on earth are we going to pray? In fact, Paul, he's told us that we are of the flesh, but now we have the spirit and we have this war that's waging uh, in us. And sometimes we don't even know how to pray. In fact, he goes on to say that the Spirit intercedes for us in that time of weakness. And even to the point where there are groans that are too deep for words that the Spirit uses to intercede on our behalf. And I think a lot of times when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think of uh, maybe our conscience, right? It's the thing that kind of convicts us. Uh, it's, it's the thing that inside us maybe teaches us where we should and shouldn't go. Uh, the Spirit oftentimes gets uh, just thought of as the thing that helps to convict us as Christians. But I think Paul is making it clear in this passage that the Spirit is not only the one that is going to be convicting us as Christians. Once we receive Christ, the Spirit is indwelt in us. P.D. taught us that last week. But his role is not simply to convict us, but he's also going to intercede on our behalf. One of the big churchy words that P.D. likes to talk about is sometimes sanctification. It's the process of looking more like Jesus as we follow and as we spend time in a relationship with him. And the Spirit, in this passage, it's being clear that he is helping us in prayer. He is helping us in prayer when we don't know how, how to pray, we don't know what to pray. And sometimes all we can do is groan and he's going to intercede on our behalf. And I love this because ultimately I as a, a human, I as Pastor Ben, sometimes don't know what to pray. Sometimes uh, I sit down and I, I'm fully uh, well-intentioned to spend time praying and then I get into it and I just hit a wall. Sometimes I, I get into the rhythm of prayer and, and I go through my list and then at the end of my list it's like, oh boy, what next? And I think it's a beautiful thing that we as Christians can take comfort in knowing that A, we are not perfect, and we're not going to be perfect in our prayer life either. But grace, being grace, is so sufficient that the Holy Spirit, even in our weakness, even in our inability to even just do the simplest communication with God, can intercede on our behalf. And ultimately, this church in Rome is a church divided. It's a church that's going through persecution. It's the area and the place where Paul will ultimately be put to death for following Jesus. And I think Paul knows that when he's writing to this divided church, when he's writing to this persecuted church, he recognizes that they are going through hard times. They are not uh, sunshine and rainbows. They are not uh, clicking their heels as they walk down the path, but they're actually facing persecution. They're actually facing uh, different religious groups that are uh, just so contrary to Christianity. Uh, they're facing the government that doesn't really like Christianity. And this is where Paul is writing this passage to them. 
In the previous verses, it talks about this groaning concept and it, and it leaks it to childbirth. Whew. I, I, yeah. So any, any husbands who were with their wife during childbirth? Anyway, it's an experience you'll never forget. Uh, and I know for all of my moms in the audience, you're like, yes, it is an experience I'll never forget. But as a husband you get to actually sit next to this person who's going through this experience and you understand what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the groans of childbirth. You can hear that in your head. Uh, if you're anything like me, you, you can go right back to that place and hear that. And, and this is the, the language that he talks about with the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. It, it's this groaning. It's, it's this thing that is just beyond words that we can't really communicate, but it's all we can do is just to make noise. And, and this is where the church in Rome is at. They're, they're in this place where they're being so heavily persecuted, so divided, that they, when they pray, are just groaning. And I take great comfort in knowing that the Spirit in the midst of our troubles here on this earth, even if all we can do is simply groan, will intercede on my behalf. Verse 27. It says this. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Of God. The Spirit intercedes according to God's will in our prayer life. And verse 27 makes it pretty clear to us that God knows the Spirit intimately. And this is where we have to draw a distinction. Because in my prayer life, I know exactly what my will is. And if you're honest, you're probably somewhat like me. Uh, In my prayer life, my will oftentimes revolves around a really nice car. Or, excuse me, my will oftentimes revolves around having a really nice mansion, right? My will in prayer oftentimes involves a yacht and Hawaii for some reason. My will in my prayer life is pretty obvious to me, but what this passage is teaching us is that when the Spirit intercedes, he's not interceding based on my will. Boy, I wish he would sometimes. Boy, I wish that whatever I prayed for, uh, the Spirit was like, yeah, I got your back, Ben. I think you need three yachts, and I think you really could use a Lamborghini. But Paul makes it very clear that the Spirit doesn't intercede for my will, but he intercedes for God's will in my prayer life. And this is one of the trickiest things about prayer. There are so many passages in Scripture that teach us about prayer. There are so many passages in Scripture that seem to teach us that we as Christians can ask and God will give to us abundantly. Uh, We can ask and God uh, will help us to receive that which we pray for. And then the simple phrase, according to God's will, is usually attached to it. 
So we have to ask ourselves, when we are praying, is it according to our own will or is it according to God's will? Very rarely will God's will for your life be to have a yacht. Still praying. (laughs) Very rarely. But I can promise you, God's will will always include you looking more like Jesus. God's will for your life will always look like you looking more like his son, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, when we are in our tough parts of life, when we go through issues, when our, our church is, feels divided, when we have events in our, our, our world around us that just seem uh, to just blow our minds because we have no idea how that could even happen, it's comforting to me that I am not expected to know God's will 100%. That's not expected of me. I'm not expected to know God's mind completely or else I would be like God in the sense that I wouldn't be limited by my mind. But the Holy Spirit and God know each other intimately. It's, it's this Trinity concept that I'm going to let PD explain beautifully and gracefully next week. But the Spirit and God know each other intimately. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in an intimate relationship with one another, know each other completely. And I can take great comfort that when I don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes on my behalf, not for my will, but for God's will. And then as we get into Romans 8, 28, it says this. Excuse me. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes, his purpose. Now, I told you about one of my pet peeves. I'm going to share with you my second pet peeve. And if you uh, disagree with me, that's fine. Uh, Feel free to send me emails. I can't promise I'll read them. Um, But Pastor Ben absolutely hates most Christian movies. Now, I'll say it again. I know. The visual gasp. <gasps> what? What? Okay. Pastor Ben, normally, most of the time, usually, that's enough clarification words, really dislikes Christian movies. And, and I'll explain the general plot because uh, it's pretty consistent amongst most Christian movies. And this is how it works. There's a human or a group of humans, and the movie centers around them. And as the movie progresses, this group of humans uh, wrestles with God or, uh, you know, doesn't quite uh, fully experience God and they're having troubles in their life. It can be uh, some sort of diagnosis. It can be foreclosure of their home. It can, I mean, it, just name any of the things that kind of can go wrong in this life. And then once uh, these people start going through these issues, they kind of meet God or they experience God or they meet Jesus. And then, oh, once they meet Jesus, all their problems seem to go away. Has anybody ever seen that movie? Yeah, okay. And Pastor Ben can't stand it. Now, kids, this is not an excuse for when your parents are like, let's go watch that awesome Christian. This is not an excuse to say no, but it is an excuse to be mindful about what we're watching. Just because it says it's a Christian film, just because uh, it talks about God a lot, does not mean that it's necessarily representing what it means to be a Christian. And in Romans 8, 28, this is one of our coffee mug verses that oftentimes we get wrong. 
all things work together for the good of those who love God. And ultimately, what we as Christians like to do, or maybe we don't like to do it, but it's what, what we do, and oftentimes well-meaningly, don't know if that's a word, someone's going through something hard in this life. Call it a medical diagnosis, call it financial instability, call it hunger, call it uh, relationship issues. And we, as Christians, go to them with one of our coffee cup, cup verses and we say, hey, don't worry. In Romans 8.28 it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. It's okay that you are struggling with X, Y, and Z because all things work out for God's good. It's okay that you're going through this time of financial instability because you know that all things work out for God's good. And I think what we mean when we use this verse most of the time is that, hey, if you just follow Jesus right now, eventually everything is going to be okay. That diagnosis will go away. That financial instability will uh, no longer be unstable. Those relationship issues that you're having in your family, they won't be there anymore. But really, if we take a look at what this is saying in the context of Scripture, in the context of Romans 8, we have to talk about the difference between good and good. But you guys are smart people, so you already know it, so I'll just leave it there. Good versus good. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. We already had this conversation a little bit when it comes to prayer. But when we share this passage with people, oftentimes it's a way for us to just say, hey, just hang in there and eventually the problems you're having right now you're not going to have later. But in reality, it's talking about God's good. Romans chapter 8 is pointing us to this future time when Jesus will return and he will make all things right. This passage, this chapter, is pointing us forward in future to a time that hasn't happened yet. It's talking about uh, the all of creation groaning. It's talking about this impact of sin in our world and our life. And ultimately, in the midst of the troubles in this world, God is working all things for the good that is coming. For the good that is coming, and that is the returning of Jesus Christ. That is the restoration of this world and the new world that will come. That is heaven on earth. That is the good that Paul is talking about here in this passage. He's not talking about the fact that uh, you're no longer going to struggle with bills. I've been an adult for, you know, by the most liberal estimates, seven or eight years. Bills have not gone away. If you found that one out, let me know. He's not talking about you're never going to have health issues. What are the two things that are always certain in life? Yeah, okay. This tent is not meant to be here forever. Paul calls our body our tent. He calls our flesh this thing that is constantly breaking down, constantly uh, just dissolving into chaos. 
This good that God is talking about is not our Lamborghinis and our Porsches and our mansions and our yachts. The good that God is talking about is the fact that his son is coming back. And God is working all of history, all of uh, the, the plans and the things that are happening around us for that good. For the fact that we no longer are going to have to struggle with sin someday. We're not going to have to struggle with uh, the impacts of uh, sin in our world, in, our, in God's creation, uh, in our flesh. Because ultimately, Jesus is coming back. And we know that in all things, in the midst of all the trouble that this church in Rome is going through, God is working for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purposes. So we got to be really careful when we go to the movies. Because it can be really tempting for us to focus on health and wealth. But this passage is pointing us to the future. This passage is pointing us to a time where Jesus is going to be back and we're no longer going to struggle with sin. We're no longer going to struggle with death. We're no longer going to struggle. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to have problems. That does not mean that we as Christians, as followers of God, are never going to have health problems. That does not mean that we as followers of Christ are never going to be persecuted. The Church of Rome knows that well. Now, right about now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Ben is so mean. He hates Christian movies and he hates coffee cups. But there are a few things I want us to consider. First, prayer is a healthy part of our life with God. And ultimately, we are going to fail at it. We're going to struggle with it. We're going to need the Spirit, the grace of God, to intercede even in our prayer life. But I would encourage you believers, if you are following Jesus, a healthy prayer life with God can't really be relegated to five or ten minutes a day. A healthy prayer life with God can't just be, oh, I pray in the morning, I pray before a meal, and I pray before I go to bed. That's a great place to start, but I believe that if we are truly following Jesus, our prayer life should be something that flows out of us constantly. The Spirit interceding on our behalf in the midst of our day. We're walking through the grocery store and, oh, i got to remember to pray for so-and-so. Or, oh my goodness, let's pray for that family that I just saw that looks like they need a lot of help. That's my family, by the way. Um, your prayer life should just be something that flows out of you as a Christian. And this isn't something to feel guilt about. It's something to ask God to bring into your life. It, it's something for you and the Spirit to wrestle with as you're walking through your day. But if you relegate it to five or ten minutes at the end of your day and five or ten minutes at the beginning of your day, you're thinking about prayer in the wrong way. Second thing, Christians are meant to be forward-looking, especially in the midst of our suffering. Especially when things aren't going the way we want them to. We're meant to look forward to the second coming. 
We're meant to look forward to the book of Revelation and all the things that God is saying is going to come and take place. Because God has promised that we're going to struggle on this earth, we're going to have issues on this earth, we're going to, our tent's going to break down. That's just what's going to happen. God has made it pretty clear. But we as a community of believers in the midst of that have something to look forward to. A time without pain, a time without suffering. And then the last thing I want you to consider this week is that if you're struggling with knowing God's will in your prayer life, uh, in your walk with Jesus at all, it's always going to be that you look more like Jesus. And if you start there, you're going to be going in the right direction. Some things to consider. I'm going to invite the worship team back on stage as we close this morning. But just one final plea. Christians, <laughs> be a good student of the Bible. This takes a little effort. This takes a little work. This takes a little bit of time and devotion. And I don't expect that all of you are going to go to Bible college because that's a privilege that not many of us get. But when we feel like a verse is a little bit too easy, I would encourage you guys to go back and to read the context that it's in. If you want to communicate to someone that's in the hospital that God has their best interest in mind and that he has a plan for their future and on down the line, there are ways that you can do that. And if you want to go to someone and you say, hey, just so you know, God is working all things for his good and they're sitting in a hospital bed and you can explain to them that there's going to be one day where there is no sin, there is no more pain, there is no more suffering in this life, I would love for you to do that but we have to make sure that we are taking our scripture in context, not out of context. If we walk into our home and we look at a verse that is up on our wall painted beautifully and we're able to explain people the depth and the richness that that verse brings, that's the proper way to have a verse on our, on our wall. And ultimately, as we're watching our Christian movies, as we're going through the mug aisle, it's beautiful if we can have a verse that we love and we treasure and maybe we get tattooed somewhere. Like, it's beautiful as a Christian that you love Scripture to do that. But let's please, please be a good student of the Bible. Let's take time to understand the context. Let's take time to actually read the five or ten verses before it and the five or ten verses after it. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here as a church. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. We thank you for the fact that uh, our will is not what we get because oftentimes if we got what we wanted, uh, we'd be in rough shape. And Father, ultimately we thank you for the understanding that one day you're going to return, you're going to eliminate sin, you're going to be residing on the throne once again, Father. And help us to look forward to that as a church, as a body of believers. Father, we pray specifically for PD this morning as he spent times away with his family, just that you'd give him rest, you would give him peace, you would just fill his heart as he prepares for sermons that are coming up. Uh, And Father, you might just help him to uh, turn the work switch off for a couple of days here. And Father, as we as a church support him in that, we just ask that you would help us to be good stewards. 
Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.